0: Hi, and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Lisa Scape, I'm so excited to have you on the She's the Boss Chats podcast. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Oh, I can't wait to share your story. So let's start off with what you're doing now. Do you want to tell everybody what you're doing and why?
1: Um, my drive school is a simulation game to teach kids how to drive online. And I spent over 20 years working in professional motorsport prior to that. and then... Oh, my God,
0: did you? I didn't know that. Yes.
1: yes. <laughs> so I actually, in 1995, I left Australia to get out of motorsport. Because it's a very sort of, you know, everybody knows everybody. And, I you know, I wanted to sort of stretch my wings a bit further. And anyway, and ended up by accident working for one of the biggest motorsport companies in the world, in the UK. Right. And so that sort of, it was sort of fate sealed. So anyway, I um, spent a few more, well, five years in the UK. And then I came back and jumped straight back into motorsport. And did a couple of other motorsport related things. And then I had two sons. Right. And my husband said to me, um, you know, when they were you know, toddlers, he was already worried about them on the road, driving, solo.
0: Right. And I said So what it's do you always been it always been there in the back of your mind then that you you were gonna do something.
1: Well no, it has not never, never. But um, <laughs> when he said that to me, I said, What are you talking about? I said, I'll teach them how to drive, they'll be amazing. And he said, No, you need to actually have a look at the road stats and trauma and, and what have you, especially among boys. So I did. And, you know, boys are killing themselves four to one. So oh. I started researching it. And, you know, effectively, over the last 50 years, every aspect of road safety has been changed and modified, except for the way we teach people how to drive. And obviously, yeah, right. uh, in motorsport um, and working with drivers and doing lots of driver training, advanced driver training, it was an area I knew. And I started looking at it going, well, why, do, why don't we teach them like we teach race drivers? I mean, not to speed and, you know, I'd do it at that level. No, but are, but
0: are racing drivers then taught online? Is that how they start before they're allowed? Well, a lot jail? of
1: race drivers use simulation as a tool. Yeah, and, right. You know, nearly all race drivers use simulation as a tool, especially these Right. Days. Yeah, um, right. A really Makes good friend of ours, Scotty McLaughlin, who's an Australian driver who won the um, V8 super, um, supercars championship the last three years he's just moved across to usa to get an indycar and he had to do about four sessions three or four hour sessions in a simulator before they even let him in the car right really you know they've been doing it for years you know to learn race crafts and tracks and all that stuff so So what about
0: so what about all the boys that are doing those games where they're driving on on race tracks and pretending they're formula one drivers is it does that not teach them?
1: Well, yes, it does. Yeah, absolutely.
0: But not road rules, that's for sure. And there's
1: a direct correlation between online skill and on-track skill. Right. So in um, 2008, when I was doing all this research, because obviously simulation is a great training tool, but um, you can't get the kids to the simulator or the simulator to the kids. And, you know, right. I mean, you might bring a simulator into a classroom and you've got 25 kids in the classroom You've got one kid on it at a time, so it doesn't actually have the impact and you can't roll it out to mass market. So I started looking at gaming, exactly what you mean. And there was a um, worldwide competition that PlayStation did back in 2008 called GT Academy. Right. And they ended up getting 43,000 competitors in this competition. (laughs) The prize was a full season in an open wheeler around Europe. Which incredible wow. prize. So, yeah. obviously, that's why they got all those people. Anyway, they got the top 20 and took them to Brands Hatch in the uh, UK with Johnny Herbert and a couple of other race drivers, and then did two weeks of real time driver training with them. Anyway, the young kid that won it was a 19 year old Spaniard by the name of Lucas Ordinez. And right. only last year finished his full time professional racing career after. All that was taught to him on a flat screen with a portable steering wheel and pedal set. So I thought, if really? they can teach that sort of high order cognitive skills online, I can teach people how to drive. Brilliant. So all those games are brilliant, don't get me wrong, but yeah, they don't teach you the road rules.
0: So, no, they just teach me how to crash. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> but our games, like, you know, if you speed, you fail. If you don't put your blinker on, you fail. So it actually teaches right. you all, all those road rules at the yeah. same time as they're learning all the basic in cabin. And problem. do they have
0: to have a steering wheel in order to yes. do your one? Yep. Okay. Yes. Amazing. And yeah. so was there a particular light bulb moment where you went, hang on, that game could be applied to real life? Or was it well, much more gradual than that?
1: When I found that study, I was like, yeah, that was my light bulb. So then I started researching, you know, is there a game available? And there wasn't. Um, I looked everywhere. The best thing I found was a game out of Russia. Right. Um, which wasn't that, you know, appropriate or, you know, I didn't think it was good enough. Yeah. So, I mean, okay, well, I need to find people to make me a good one. So I designed the content and I found tech guys because I'm technically useless. Right. <laughs>
0: Except for cars, I'm guessing.
1: Yeah, I'm. All right. Well, no, I'm not good at tech with cars. I can. Oh, I do. <laughs> no, no, no. If they, if they, you know, break down, I get out.
0: <laughs> wow. Right. Okay. So this is the perfect opportunity for me to take you back to when Lisa was a little girl, now and talk to me about how, in heaven's name, you've got to where you are, and I'm dying to hear how you got into um, all that racing stuff and being on the road and becoming a an instructor. So. Where did you grow up? How many kids were there in the family? What did your parents do? Um,
1: my parents are automotive companies. Okay. And uh, my brother is a professional race driver. Um, right. My dad used to race as a hobby. Um, right. And then, you know, Mark at 19 was one of Australia's youngest ever racing So
0: Mark Scaife, even I've heard that name and I know nothing about cars, mm. is your brother. Yes. Right. So so what was So what did you... Both your parents had automotive things, so you grew up around cars. Yeah. And um, did you like school?
1: Um, (laughs) How were you at school? (laughs) I didn't mind school, but um, like you said earlier, um, you're quite rebellious. I was always sort of a straight-A student, but I was quite naughty.
0: Right. Okay. And you grew up in Melbourne?
1: No, I grew up on the central coast, north of Sydney.
0: Right. Okay. Okay. And yeah. so, okay, so um, when you finished school, did you finish school? Did you go to Year 12? Yes, or, yes, I yeah. did Year
1: 12 school. And then um, what? Fairly disengaged, but I still completed it. Well done. <laughs> um, Which and then, I think our parents
0: said to us in those days, just finish it for heaven's sake. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Doesn't matter how you go, just make sure you do it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I finished it. And then um, my brother had already moved to Melbourne because he got a full-time job as a race driver. Oh, and how much
0: older than you is he then?
1: He's two years older than me.
0: Okay, all right. So he was quite young, got into yep. racing really young. Mm. I know nothing about racing. I'm going to show my ignorance during oh, this no, interview right. for sure. Um, okay, he, so he moves to Melbourne. You're still up on the Central Coast finishing school. Yes,
1: and when I finished school, um, he needed a flatmate, and right. I didn't really have a massive plan. I mean, actually, at the time, I really wanted to be a um, an air hostess or slash <laughs> flight attendant. Right, um, and um, Australian Airlines at the at the time was a sponsor of the race team. So right. you know, he said, "Oh, come down and uh, you know maybe we can introduce you to some people or whatever, and if that's what you want to do, anyway, I moved down to Melbourne, um, got a job as a receptionist um in this great sign company,
0: right.
1: um, and then caught to way too many planes, so I realized I didn't want to become an air hostess. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay, so what next? What do you? And I mean, if that had been your sort of dream or your thoughts, and you decided you didn't want to do it, what came next?
1: Um, I decided I wanted to get into uh, marketing and advertising. Okay, so that's sort of the field I, I went into. I um,
0: how did you score your first job?
1: Um, I scored my first job, sort of more or less through the race team as well, because I was right. working part time with the race team. Doing all their merchandising and you know, sort of bit of sponsorship stuff. And okay. All their merchandising. So I um, I met the advertising agency that looked after the Nissan account and also a motorsport account, and so I got a job in uh, at George Pats Advertising.
0: Oh, nice. Well, nice big one.
1: Yeah. And yeah.
0: okay, so how long did you last there, and what sort of accounts did you work on? Was it did they give uh, you all was, the automotive the
1: automotive accounts? <laughs>
0: Yeah, You were never going to be able to escape it.
1: No, no. And then the race team, at the time I was still actually working part-time for the race team, but on Friday nights I would fly out and go to all the race meetings to sell and do all the merchandising. Right. Um, and then basically the race team offered me a whole lot more money to go and do that full-time. So I did. Yeah, so I stayed there for, oh, eight, five years or so. What,
0: what, so, what exactly were you doing? Were you actually choosing the products that would be the merchandise? yes? So I'd design
1: and uh, manufacture right. all the team uniforms um, and all the merchandise for supporter, you know, the supporter range, um, right? And, and you did it for five friends. years, yeah. yeah. Traveled a lot, uh, I guess. Yes, yes, we did travel a lot, um, which would have been
0: very tough. exciting at first, no doubt, but probably started wearing down a bit, up, wearing thin a bit after a while.
1: Yeah, well, that sort of effectively what happened because you know you go to the same you know 10 12 15 racetracks every year um you get (laughs) off the track you know get off the plane go to the track go to the hotel get back on the plane go home (laughs) right yeah um you know but you know i was learning a lot about marketing and sponsorship and all those other areas of of the sport um so that was good i started my first company doing that so i i sort of did that for a few different teams then okay and then um yeah, I got bored with the travel and the same. I was basically one of the only females doing the whole circuit.
0: Which is really uh-huh. interesting because uh, just just literally because I know nothing about cars other than um, mm-hmm. there's a woman that I know called Madam Wheels that I was helping with PR and she ran an event at the Grand Prix, which must have been two years ago when we were allowed to do it, and had and it was for women who love cars. And, and she had the... I thought she said the top three women in F1, who were who were all women, but they were like the CEO and the marketing director and things like that. Is that right? Is it? Is yes, it kind of led by a lot of I women now? Women
1: now, right? Um, as I said in Australia, when I first um, started, I was probably one of about two or three oh. maybe, in the whole. You know, two. How,
0: how was third? that? Did did because your brother was a famous racing car driver? Did they treat you well, or were you getting a whole lot of? Sort of, you know,
1: treated um, really well. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, it, was, it was absolutely fine. It was like having a massive team of big brothers. Oh, fantastic. Um, yeah, like hundreds of them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, why did you say? So, uh, I understand that that bit would have started wearing thin, but what do you do next after you've been working in that space for so long?
1: I, um, I decided one day I, I wanted to travel um so i moved like for to... fun
0: instead of work
1: yeah you know and travel <laughs> abroad more right know. right um and I moved to the UK. so effectively I, I just packed up and moved to the uk
0: which is quite um, scary because i did that and even if you're outgoing which you are and i am i still found it quite hard to actually make friends that you know i think the english are so insular it's yes. it's they're lovely, but they don't invite you back. They kind of go, oh, I love you, you're great, I'll go out to the pub with you, but you're not coming back to my house till I've like, met you three or four times.
1: Um, well, I was lucky because I sort of got in. I was very, um, I made sure I didn't hang out in the Australian gang.
0: Right, um, yeah,
1: well done. So I was very, you know, conscious of that. And I thought I don't want to move across the other side of the world. And, and live in and Acton. In a share. in Yeah, I know, <laughs> I, I was the same.
0: I didn't want to live in Acton with a share house with 14 Aussies.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So um, I started doing um, freelance marketing. Okay. And the company um, it was quite funny. I, it was quite a small company at the time. But um, what was it called? Because I, oh, I think Stop Gap Marketing.
0: That was me. And did you start when oh, yeah. it was just three? Yes, three women yes. in oh, Richmond yeah. in that tiny thing. Yes. Oh my god! <laughs> and when they moved to Australia, I actually went for the job as GM, and I'll never forget it because I loved what they did. And I got down to the last interview and they said, So what would be the worst, what would be the worst kind of job you could have? And I said, if I had to sit in the office on the phone all day, every day. And they went, Jules, that's pretty much the job. <laughs> but well, I, yeah. I loved those girls and I, loved, oh, I did it for years brilliant. as well.
1: Yeah. Right. But when she interviewed me, she said, You've got a really strange um CV laser, you know, like it's all automotive yeah. and motorsport. She said, That's really weird. Anyway, so she placed me at this company that I'm still really good friends with, the, the um, CEO and what have you. And then one day she called me and said, Oh, Lisa, I'm really sorry. I didn't ask, but I sent your CV off to this racing company. Is right. okay? I've never had a, a, a brief from a racing company. And so I just sent yours off. And I ain't clear. Yeah, I wasn't really. <laughs> <honest>. <laughs> but anyway. I went out there and the MD of the company I was working for lent me his car because it was out in Banbury, Oxfordshire, uh, lent me his car so I could go to the interview. And um, it ended up I I knew the guys that were interviewing me.
0: And, um,
1: you know, anyway, they offered me good money and a car. (laughs) Nice. That's a good thing. It'll get me travelling around here a bit more. Um, So I took the job. Yeah.
0: Wow, so how long did you stay there and, and what was the actual job? I mean, obviously marketing for cars, but was it for an agency or
1: directly well, for a company? Well, initially it was through Claire's Agency right. as a stopgap, effectively, yep. but then they put me on full-time because they'd just started a um, a new series. Um, well, they'd just entered the um, British Touring Car Championship.
0: So it was a car company?
1: No, 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 it was a racing company.
0: Oh, a racing
1: company. Okay, gets contracts from manufacturers to go and compete in different racing series. Oh, I
0: didn't know that was a thing.
1: Well known in rallying, but um, then they were just coming into racing, right? And they, you know, got a contract with Honda to compete in the British Touring Car Championship, and they needed somebody to manage that account. How cool! Um, So you know, I went and managed that, which you know was was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. I, I bet it was, and, and not m- travelling within Australia, but probably travelling all over Europe, was it?
1: Well, not a lot or of Europe. Not boring, we, but... I went to France a couple of times, and at that time it was a bit of a nightmare because it was before EU passports and what have you. So every yeah. time I went to France, I had to go through this completely different channel, and they hated driving with me because, um, <laughs> you know, that queue was huge. It <laughs> was a nice, yeah. But it was a really, really good bunch of people who I'm still in contact with a lot of them. Well, oh, that's great.
0: So what happened next?
1: Um, then I decided to, because of, and probably because of Claire and Stopgap, I started looking at different marketing, well, different market opportunities. Yeah. And the, um, in recruitment as such, I thought there's a great, there's over 60,000 people employed full-time in motorsport in the UK.
0: Wow. I had no idea. that's huge.
1: Mm. Yet they did not have a specialist recruitment company.
0: Right. I like so where you're going. I
1: know my way around this a fair bit, so I started the first ever motorsport recruitment company in the UK. Incredible. And and awesome. really
0: you couldn't have done it in Australia because they wouldn't have had the same no, I wouldn't lump, have had the need for numbers. Yeah. But 60000 a decent amount, so yeah, how did that absolutely. go?
1: Yeah, it was good, but it was, you go. it was really hard, to be perfectly honest, because it was a... Motorsport's very known for um, sort of just poaching people from other race teams and stuff, right. and yep. dagger and stuff, and they don't really do it like that. Um, but, it, I mean, it was great fun, um, Learned a lot, um, met an awful lot of people, you know, and I'd be interviewing people from, you know, anything from aerodynamicists to truck drivers to marketing people for Formula One or rallying or British Touring wow. Cars, or whatever. So it was actually really fun. Um and I did that for probably two and a half years before I sort of run out of money. And one day I went, I just want to go home. <laughs>
0: December. It, it gets to um, that stage, does it? How long were you there then? Five years. Oh, I've
1: been there about five years.
0: Yeah, I had the same moment and I just remember going, I just don't want skin on my tea. I don't want to blow yep. my nose and it's black. I just want to be able to go for a drive to the beach. It's time yes. to go home. And Australia <laughs> seems so wide open
1: and clean and lovely when you come mm. back too. It did, didn't it? And so warm. Every time I'd come back, I'd come back, you know, I'd sort of come back on a few visits um, in summer and you'd get yep. off so pasty and white and glum and then yep. stunning here. And so literally it was just before um, millennium, you know, 2000. Yeah. I just woke up one day and went, I've got to go home.
0: And so where did you go to? Sydney? Uh, no, I no,
1: Melbourne.
0: You, you and me are times the same. I went in 95, came back in 2000, but decided I'd work on the Olympics. So I went up to Sydney to do that, which I'd never lived there. But you came back to Melbourne. So what did you do then?
1: Um, I worked for my brother for a few years. Right. Doing what,
0: more marketing again?
1: Yeah, so more or less managing him as a driver and mm-hmm. um, and any basically all off-track activities. Right. And we developed a few, you know, few things like uh, you know, drive advanced driver training courses and and you know, a lot of that sort of stuff, you know, racing stuff. And so, then, why did you um, leave, or why did that end? Um, I didn't. I wanted to do something else because I've always sort of had this. I like doing new things. I love having a clean sheet of paper and okay. making. Oh, what can I do now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and in the UK, there's this thing called the Autosport Show, okay. which is. Um, down in Birmingham every year, and it is the who's who of motorsport in every category, and every discipline right across Europe. Everybody right. goes to the motorsport show, um, the autosport show. And, you know, people do all their press releases there for the year, their liveries, um, you know, all suppliers um, to the industry. It's very all-encompassing, all-encompassing sort of exhibition. Right. And I thought, we don't have one of those in Australia. Why don't I do that? So I did. Nice. So right. I did that for three years. Um What was it called?
0: Do I know it? A lot of sports show. Oh yeah, sorry.
1: <laughs>
0: Ask really a silly so question.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so you did that for a few years and that was your baby, was it? So were you yeah. able to sell that? Yes, I did. Right. Um and with a view to doing what? So were you fed up when with I sold running that, events I sold by then?
1: Because I'd um I'd had children and I sort of wanted right. to be better. I sold it for a bit of maternity leave and have a couple of years off to um, play with the kids, basically. Yeah, yeah. Because my husband also worked in motorsport. So we had this sort of both of us couldn't really, you know, it's illegal to leave your kids at home for the weekend while you go to racetracks. Yeah, it is. Funny about that. (laughs) Yeah. So one of us sort of had to have a stay-at-home job. Right. Um, Yeah, yeah. So So
0: he he did that and you, how long did you stay at home? Were you working part-time or did you just stop for a while?
1: Um, I always sort of had other little projects on the go. Um, I wanted to actually, I tried to get up a, a show, a TV show called So You Think You Can Drive. Right. Um, I thought that would be quite fun. It would have been. Um, anyway, I, I couldn't get it up basically. Then um, never know. You never say never. I know. I know. I have learned to. I well, have now
0: learnt. is well, of course, because of the streaming TV and all that kind of thing. Now, that's not to say that later on. And I'm going to. I want to start a TV network for women in business. So maybe you can have one about the business of cars. Oh, okay, host. we can do that. <laughs> okay, well, so what came next? So you've you've looked
1: after so the, after the that, boys. Um, with all the research and stuff I've been even doing for the, um so you think you can drive. Um, That was actually to build and develop a race driver. But a lot of the same stuff works. Um, But then I sort of just translated it back into um, road safety and mainstream because motorsport, um, when you look at it, the main purpose of it, other than obviously um, entertainment, the main purpose of motorsport from from my perspective is to actually um, research and develop products and programs and services. Mainstream use. Ah, yes. Um, And I thought, well, this is another extension of that. We're using what we use in motorsport to train drivers, but let's use it for mainstream use.
0: Well, yes. And I know that there are flight simulators everywhere where everyone can go and pretend they're a pilot. So it
1: kind of. First stage of the RAF now, the first stage of simulation, before they put them in a big, you know, all encompassing simulator, um, they put them on a PC version. Right. So that's their first stage of simulation before they go to their next. Before they actually let them in a plane.
0: That sort of makes so much sense. And I remember when you first told me about the drive school, I hadn't made that that connection. But now you mention it, of course, why wouldn't you put people into a simulated environment before you put them in charge of a mountain of
1: metal that they could
0: go and kill themselves in?
1: Well, I look at it and go, well, you know, you need a certificate to actually climb up a ladder um, a meter and a half. Get yeah. your ladder, get- in the passenger seat with somebody who's never, ever driven a car before.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> just mad, isn't
1: it? That's not cool. Nobody so, wants to do that.
0: <laughs> so where are you at with the drive school now? Firstly, tell people how they can get hold of it, but also what are you doing with it now? And then we'll get on to some other questions I've got for you. But I'm interested um, to know.
1: Well, my drive school, We uh, it took me years to actually get it up and running. I was trying to get government funding and then manufacturer support and all different ways and methods and what have you. Anyway, bootstrapped, uh, we launched the first program at the 2019 Australian Grand Prix and then...
0: Right, came... just just before the lockdown. Well, oh, no, the year before. 21, yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, so we launched at the 2019 Australian Grand Prix and then we won the Australasian Serious Games Congress with the highest score in the history of the event the same oh, year. wow. So then we went to US, demoed it in the US and... You know, we got th- we got into about 20, 25 schools the first year. Yep. And then we... Hang on, started.
0: wait a minute. What kind of schools are you targeting? Driving schools? Or is this... No, no, no Education, off. like year 11, oh, sort of year 12. Yeah. Okay. Or well, year 10. Yeah, okay.
1: So our first program is all about, um, you know, before they actually ever get into a car. You know, you shouldn't be able to read a book and then miraculously you can drive a car. No. You know, oh. you don't read a book and then ride a bike or... You know No, I had
0: I remember I had think I'd gotten a car twice when I got my licence, and the day I got it, my first car, I crashed it. <laughs>
1: That's
0: not a great record. No, I know. But I mean I'm I'm just feeding into your argument, which is so right. That yeah. you I mean, I love this hundred and twenty hours. I know it drives the kids and the parents nuts, but at least they're I getting. It's, experience. Like I'm not a big fan. it's a lot of experience though. I mean, they do kind of get the experience. I, what would you like to see differently?
1: Well there's 120 hours, but you're spending on average 110 hours with somebody that's probably got 20, 30 years of bad habits. Right. So you're actually not, you know, some of the, I've just done a research, um, some research in the last couple of weeks, and the top 10 countries in the world, none of them do 100 compulsory 120 hours.
0: No, I thought that was unique to Australia. So what do you think they should do instead?
1: Um, they need a lot better instruction from more, from qualified instructors. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so that, more...
0: that could be one of the things. Like, you have to have done at least six lessons with a driving instructor or something.
1: Yeah, do some more. The training and assessment needs to be better, right. um, as do the driving instructors. Um, the testing procedures need to be a lot more stringent. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, they do a, you know, about a 45 minute, if that. You know, around the block type thing, test. Um, we don't teach them anything, you know, emergency braking, skid, any of that sort of stuff. No. Um, we need a lot more, you know, controlled environments where the kids can learn autonomously because effectively what happens now is somebody sits in the passenger seat with them for 110 hours. Yep. Saying they've got 10 hours with a driving instructor. But then when that person's, because that person's there telling them what to do for all those hours. Have you saved this? Did you look there? Blah, 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 blah. As soon as they're not there anymore, they crash because that, right. the economy of you know, learning all those things. By themselves, yeah. By themselves is just not there because they're used to having somebody saying, oh, did you see that? Don't do that. Don't do that. You know. Yeah, so true. Means, you know, um, I need better training, better testing.
0: Because well maybe maybe you can talk to Vic Rhodes and various other people and get your My Drive school course as a compulsory part of Well, I'll back you if there's if you ever need anyone to go in and and speak from the, you know, average punter who's got three sons point of view. I'm happy to do it.
1: Well, yeah, that's the, that was the, <coughs> you know, I've got two sons. And yep. you know, but more than that, all their mates even. Um, you know, it, it is horrendous. Last year in Victoria, there was a parliamentary inquiry into the rise of the Victorian road top. And um, between 2018 and 2019, in the 16 to 20-year-old age bracket, fatalities were up 300%. Oh, my God. And, you know, and that's not even talking about um, serious injury. So every year in Australia, there's about 44,000 people that are injured in in road trauma. And out of that, about 25% of them are serious, high threat of death. So we're not actually doing a better job of training people or anything else. All we're doing is keeping them alive.
0: And we're measuring only the road, the road yeah. toll in terms of death. We're measuring infertility.
1: And, I in... mean, we all
0: know people that have had terrible courage. Car- uh, there's a woman I interviewed about six weeks ago who, who was physically degloved. she said, is where your skin all peels off mm. um, from going through a windscreen when she yeah. was 18 or something. Yeah. And, and, and you know, she's 50 now and she's been having operations for 30 years to try and correct mm-hmm. it. It's appalling.
1: Yeah. Well, it right. costs well, about $30 billion a year, which equates to $82 million per day. Oh, my God. And, yep. you know, I've been trying to deal with, with governments and agencies and what have you, and the biggest thing is I haven't got a big enough evidence base. Ah. Uh. So
0: 44,000 isn't
1: enough. Pardon? 44,000 isn't enough. Yeah, so I'd like to, their evidence base
0: isn't looking that great. No. Right. Wow, Lisa. Well, let's hope you get it everywhere. All right, now talk to me a little bit about, you've worked in a very male-dominated industry for a long, long time. Can you talk to me about any women? Now, I should preface this with the fact that because this is a show about women in business, And I don't feel like a lot of women get named and and told everyone. People don't hear about the incredible that women there are out there helping people. I just want to know, have there been any women other than Claire (laughs) from Stop Gap, because that's obviously one, who've helped you along the way? And if so, have they helped you? Um, Have you got any grandmother or mother-type figures in the industry that kind of looked after you?
1: No, not really. Because it it has been a very um, male-dominated industry. Um, no, I don't think I've actually had any sort of mentors or, um, no. Okay. Okay, None. wow. I'd like to make sure, I'd like to mentor, you know. Yeah. I'd like to try and mentor young girls that are trying to get into motorsport, and I wish there was a whole lot more in it. And now, you know, there are becoming, in Australia, there's two um, team managers in supercars. Yeah. Are famous, Great. Which is brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we like, it's I still know.
0: it's still very very male dominated, obviously. Oh yes, mm. right, interesting. Um, okay, now talk to me about being a mum, running a business, running your other things. hobbies in motorsports as well. <laughs> How are you juggling work and life? What sort of hours do you work? Do you have weekends set aside, or not? Um,
1: <laughs> no, I still literally um, my boys do a lot of sport. And my husband's away a lot, so obviously right. I'm a designated driver doing all that stuff. But then, you know, um, I'd still probably work eighty hours a week. So in and around that I'd probably do gosh. At least at least probably six hours a weekend.
0: Right. Okay. And and what about your kids? Are they really into motorsports as well, having grown up with you and with mum no, and dad into No, no. Oh. We
1: did actually buy them carts and stuff. Um, because <laughs> My my husband said to me a million years ago. I said the reason why um, he thought we should get together because we could procreate the perfect race driver. <laughs> yeah, well that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> His engineering capacity and my racing bloodlines. You know, <laughs> the perfect race driver. <laughs> so. And you're probably breeding an
0: actor and a musician or something.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um. So we did actually buy the boys' carts and all that sort of stuff, and we had a few goes at it, and they really liked it and enjoyed it but they didn't actually like racing with they liked being on the track by the, you know with the, just the two of them on yeah but they didn't like it when anybody else was on right. so you know and now they're they're both um, right into cricket and football and basketball and stuff so one that's a hell of a lot cheaper and a lot yeah. safer
0: <laughs> i don't know watch out i've i've had three boys through basketball and my middle son or the eldest of the twins broke his front teeth From basketball, he tripped over the coach's foot in training, took out his three front teeth, um, emergency, you know, down at the Royal Children's at midnight, finally get it done. And I was like, oh my God, you only had those teeth are supposed to last 50 years and they haven't even lasted a year. And then he did it again in basketball the following year.
1: Oh my God.
0: So, yeah, mouth guards, really, really important. (laughs) No, that's all all I can say. Okay, so um, is there a quirky fact about you that most people don't know that you'd be up for sharing?
1: Oh. Um,
0: <laughs> that's a good question, uh, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's a really good question and one that i not probably, even if I could think of one, I don't know if I'd want to share it.
0: <laughs> okay, that's fair enough. I hear all sorts of things
1: like, oh, you've got a what? I have a very warped sense of humour.
0: Oh, okay. my, um,
1: my husband says, he calls it and you know, And <laughs> if I see somebody maim themselves or, you know, fall over or something like that, I cannot help myself. I, Yeah, I laugh.
0: Right, so you'd be a fan of Jackass and those kind oh, yes. of shows, yeah. I imagine. Right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and so are my boys, cause, and he thinks it's hereditary. The boys are both. Got it as well.
0: Well, my boys were all into that, but I don't think I ever watched one of those shows. So last question is around apps on your phone. Do you use your phone very much for work or for play or not
1: really? No, you know what? Um, even though I'm supposedly you know, a tech entrepreneur, I'm not tech at all. Right. And I really actually hate apps because I've got so many you know, through school and, you know, by the time you've got your school stream and your Sports 1 team app and you this, I'm like, they're supposed to make my life more simple. I've got to look at 15 different things to get the information I want. <laughs> just email me, please. Just yeah, email.
0: yeah, okay. I totally get you. I totally get you. Okay, Lisa, so if anyone wants to sign up for My Driving School or have My Drive School, sorry, or have a way to get in touch with you because maybe they want to give you a million dollars to sponsor you, what would be the best What would be the best well, way to get hold of you?
1: Always email me. Um, right. That's lisascafe at mydriveschool.com. Yep. But people can buy programs online, and that's, again, at mydriveschool.com. Okay. But what we our main ambition is to actually get it in every school. So we want all schools. It should be part of the curriculum. Yeah. So um, I spoke to, very early on in this, I spoke to Laurie Lawrence because yep. he was integral in getting swimming into schools. And I'd just done this um, case study that in 2016, 264 people aged between 16 and 25 died on our roads and 23 drowned. Yet we have seven years of compulsory swimming training in schools and no and driving nothing. training no driving. in high schools. Oh my God. Well, for any
0: of the mums that might be listening, or if you've got Head brothers, school, sisters, I'm whatever. Let, yeah, let's all go to our schools and tell them they should get it on board, and I definitely will with my school, so I'll talk to you about that afterwards. Lisa, thank right. you so much for this great conversation.
1: It's been great, tools. Thanks very much. I can't believe you and I both know Claire.
0: <laughs> oh, so I know. Fun. How's that for a small world? <laughs> Particularly when they just started, because by the time yeah. we left it was a 15 million pound company, but when they started yeah. just the three of them in that little room. Yeah, that is yeah, so amazing. Funny. <laughs> I know. Brilliant.
1: Okay, thanks. Great.
0: Thanks, Jules. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of She's the Boss Chats. For more information and to find out about our other initiatives, including our weekly lunch for female founders and our TV show, go to she'stheboss.com.au.